2: Welcome to AFA at the Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to be with you today here on the show. My name is Walker Wildman. This is the Core here on American Family Radio. You can check out our website, AFR.net. AFR.net is the website. You can also download the mobile app on your mobile device, on your tablet, wherever you have an app store. You can download the American Family Radio app. We do have the, live, the video up live streaming now on Facebook and YouTube. Just type in AFA at the Core on both of those platforms. You can watch the show live there. And uh, lastly, we have AFA streaming now. AFA streaming. So after the show, we'll upload the video from the show to AFA streaming so you can watch at your convenience um, uh, this evening or tomorrow or whenever you want to log into AFA Streaming. You can get all AFA-produced video content there on our new video platform, AFA Streaming. And then in 2022, hopefully in early 2022, we're going to launch a a live streaming uh, video option there where you can watch the show live, not just uploaded content, but you can also watch the show live there on the video platform. Well, jumping into um, our show today, our scripture for the week, we're finishing up the... First book of Psalm. We're finishing up Psalm one, and uh we're in verse five and six this week, and this entire chapter is about is is about the topic, the context, is the writer here is differentiating between the way of a righteous man and the way of an unrighteous man. And the writer is going back and forth describing what the way of a righteous man looks like and what the way of an unrighteous man looks like. He ends the chapter in 5 and 6 saying, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so there's a a separation here that was brought about in verse 1 through 4 that finishes up in 5 and 6, and the separation is, is from the righteous and the unrighteous, from the saved and the unsaved, from the believer and from the non-believer, and so we will uh, once and for all. Not only, not only do you experience the separation here on this earth, meaning you can tell who is a righteous man and who is an unrighteous man by their actions, by their words, by their deeds, but eventually when you talk about judgment final judgment there will be a final separation there will be a final separation and when when the Pharisees uh, well even the apostles in the in the New Testament when they were asking Jesus you know when are you going to return when is the kingdom going to come on this earth as it is in heaven and, and many of the apostles, they were, and the disciples as well, those two terms can be used interchangeably, uh, they were the disciples and then later apostles, they thought that the return of Christ was, was imminent, meaning, well, that depends on how you define imminent. But nonetheless, my point is, they thought it was like days, weeks, maybe months before Jesus was going to come back. And establish his kingdom on earth. Well, we're two thousand years later, and Christ has not come for his final judgment yet. Um, but there will be a final judgment, and it's it's so imminent, it's so important that that we understand as a body of Christ, and we convey this to the world, that we don't know when Christ is going to come. We don't know when Christ is going to return because everybody was trying to press him, press Jesus. Come on, tell us the time. Tell us the date. Tell us when it's going to happen. And of course, he never did. He said, only the Father knows. Only the Father knows when um, when uh, the earthly kingdom will be established. Uh, so I'll say all of that to say it's so important to strive to be like the righteous man in Psalm 1 uh, because we never know When judgment is going to come, we never know when final judgment is going to come. So we don't need to act as if we can live the first half of our life on this earth unrighteous. And then maybe down the road we can decide we want to be righteous and then we'll get a pass into heaven. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. We are called as the body of Christ to honor him with with our words, with our actions and our deeds at all times. We are not to play referee thinking that somehow we control uh, when, when, when we have salvation and when we can have belief and saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. If we think that we have that much control, we are naive and we have been misled. Um, we, we need to submit our lives to Christ in short order and then live our lives in righteous obedience to his word. So that's my encouragement for you. This week out of the book of Psalm, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, it says the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will not be able to stand in the judgment. Um, moving on to the topics for the week, um, the there's uh, the inflation. I've talked to Dan Celia on multiple occasions on uh, inflation. I played clips from top economist on this issue. And it's pretty much uh, the Fed, the Treasury Department, and the White House against the world. Because even people who are Democrats, these are top economists who are liberals, they're all saying that this inflation is a problem. All your major CEOs, inflation is a problem. Well, we've been getting this number about oh, uh, you know, 5 6% inflation, it's not too bad. I mean, it's it's not good, but it's not too bad <laughs> is what the White House has been saying. Um, but you look at, at at what I call real inflation, meaning uh, so much for all these fancy formulas that these economists come up with, but let's look at, at individual goods. Let's look at in, individual services and look at how much they're up. For example... You look at the energy sector, all right, 30%, 40% up. You um, You look at something like beef, all right, up like, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but nonetheless, my point is you look at all these individual sectors or these individual areas of the economy, and none of them are just up 7%. None of them are just up 6%. They're all up double digits. Some of them, some of them up triple digits. Uh, year over year compared to this time last year. But then they, they throw out this number 6%, 7%. And it's very non-climatic. I mean, people look at it and they're like, ah, 7%. What's, who cares, you know? <laughs> but that number is misleading. And I'm going to play a clip, and, and they're going to tell you why. This is an economist by the name of Peter Schiff. And he was on with, I believe, Tucker Carlson – Yes, he was on with Tucker Carlson. I got two Tucker Carlson clips today, so I was trying not to get confused. He's on with Tucker Carlson talk about, talking about how real inflation is more like 15%, which is double what they're telling us. Clip five, let's listen.
0: This is a massive change looking not at the CPI, but at the actual cost of living in the country. It's very obvious that the inflation rate is not 7% It's much higher than that, in that it costs more than 7% to live here than it did last year. Why is this not on the front yeah, page of well, if- the... Every publication.
3: Well, because the government, Wall Street, the Federal Reserve has a vested interest in the public not understanding how bad inflation is. In fact, one of the ways the Fed's been able to justify creating more inflation is because they claimed we didn't have enough of it. But the only reason we didn't have enough of it is because they were relying on their own highly rigged CPI. You know, the CPI wasn't always this dishonest. When, when they compare our inflation rates to the inflation of the 1970s, we're not using the same CPI that we use then. The annualized rate of inflation so far, according to the CPI for 2021, is 7.3% if you annualize the the first 11 months. That's the worst rate since 1982. But if we were using the same CPI as we used in 1982, the rate would be closer to 15%, which means it's the worst year in inflation in U.S. history because the highest one year was 1980 when it was 13.5%. And this year, it's more than that
2: so that is peter schiff an economist saying that real inflation is more like 15 which is what i'm talking about it's all about how they do the formula right the consumer price index is the number that they talk about which is showing six or seven percent and by the way that keeps going up uh every single month they measure it but nonetheless he's saying no it's really if you look at how they used to measure it back before the about 82 Uh, The way they used to measure it was different how they're measuring it now. Uh, So when you use the formula from back then, which he would argue is more accurate, you're looking at 15% inflation year over year. Um, But this is, let's don't get this wrong, this is a tax on the middle class. This is a tax on lower income families, which is so ironic because the Democrats, they are masters at, at, at projecting things. They are masters at convincing people of things that just are not true. For example, uh, you ask anybody today, well, who is the? Uh, well, <laughs> this may have changed since Biden got in office, but you know, let's go back a year ago, or, or let's just go back over the last ten years of politics in America. You ask anybody, who is the party of the working class? Who is the party of blue collar workers? Some people, most people, are going to say, oh, it's the Democrats. You know they're the party of unions. They're the party of the worker. They're always raving and ranting against the corporations, yada yada yada. But you put, you start looking at at, at the core issues and who's actually taking positions on core issues. Is the Republican Party fully the party of the blue collar worker? Probably not. I mean, the Republicans like the corporations too. They like the big PAC donations. They like to get money from special interest groups that are all tied to these major corporations. So I'm not exonerating the Republican Party. But what I'm saying is that for the Democrats to act like they are the party of lower and middle income families, that is a farce. All of their policies are aimed at helping everybody but the middle and lower income families and 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 this inflation number tells it all it tells it all and 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 the democrats um every policy they do is like centered on hurting lower to middle income families and you look at the inflation and the wage charts right now they are the furthest apart they've been in in several years going back to before trump was in office meaning Wages are not keeping up with inflation, and in some areas, wages aren't even going up. And so the cost of living is skyrocketing through the roof, but yet wages are staying about the same. They might be going up a little bit, which is a problem because the Democrats claim that they're the party of the little guy, but in reality, they're not. In reality, they are the party of corporations. These are the same politicians that have been promoting policies and implementing policies, not just promoting policies, but implementing policies that shutter the doors of small businesses. I mean, that's what the whole COVID lockdowns was all about. Home Depot can be open, but your mom and pop hardware store, oh, no, no, it's got to close. You know, because COVID spreads more in the hardware store downtown than it does in Home Depot. No, no, Walmart, they can stay open. And as a matter of fact, not only can Walmart stay open, but they can put up these cattle gates to herd everybody through the same door, which makes completely no sense. Um, Oh, it's so they can check your temperature and count how many people are in their store because that stops COVID as well. But nonetheless, the next time the Democrats tell you that they are the party of the working class, you better laugh out loud because it is not true. It is not true. That doesn't mean the Republicans are the party of the working class, but it sure means when you look at the facts on the ground, the Democrats are not the party of the working class.
1: Faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Karl Marx, an emissary of evil, and Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, were evangelists of diametrically opposed messages. Yet they both lived in London at the same time. In fact, when asked the name of the person he most detested, Frederick Engels, Marx's cohort in chaos, responded unequivocally, Spurgeon. A generation later, George Bernard Shaw, a hardcore communist, seethed in hatred for William Booth and his salvation army of volunteers. Time and again, robust Christian witness has been the inoculate against the proliferation of Marxist poison in society.
0: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
4: This is Raising Got the Girls Minute with Patti Garibay of American Heritage Girls.
1: Today's world values a life of convenience and comfort, but as Christians, we're not called to an easy life, we're called to be more. Equipping your daughter with a spirit of perseverance is required in raising up an overcomer. Find activities like an AHG troop or a gymnastics class that challenge her to stretch and grow past discomfort or ability. And most importantly, teach her where the spirit of perseverance comes from. Paul famously writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in his letter to the Philippians. Paul shifts his perception and joyfully trusts in God despite his hardship. Teaching girls to trust in the Father while experiencing difficulty instills a sense of graceful poise and godly perseverance that the world is so desperately devoid of
4: today. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. In this season of giving, you can be the answer to their prayer today. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International and since Labor Day, we've been working toward a goal of putting God's Word into the hands and hearts of 16,000 Bibleist believers around the world. Here's a few that are praying for a Bible. Ahmed is a former Muslim beaten by extremists. When he came to faith in Christ, he's praying for a Bible. Miriam is a widowed mother of three in Mozambique, Africa. Very sadly, her husband was killed by the Boko Ram regime, but she's praying for a Bible. Carla was a follower of pagan practices in Venezuela. He's praying for a Bible now as a Christ follower. And then Washi and her husband are livestock farmers in China. They want to raise their children to know and love Jesus. They're praying for a Bible. Listen, to date, you've put 10,000 Bibles into the hands of bible believers. We'd love to see another 6,000 by the end of the year. So please, at $5 a Bible, would you make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at SendBiblesNow.org.
0: AFA at the core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the core on American family radio.
2: Welcome back to the core here on American family radio. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Don't forget to check out our website, AFR.net, or you can download the American family radio app on your smartphone, or your tablet device. And, we are live streaming the video on YouTube and Facebook. Just type in AFA at the Core on YouTube and Facebook. You can live stream the show there. Hey, I want to welcome to the line uh, someone who's been on the guest uh, on the on the show before, and that is uh, Doctor John Witcher from the great state of Mississippi, where I'm from as well. And he was on with a couple other doctors about a month or two ago on the show, talking about uh, their group uh, Mississippi Against Mandates when when it when it. Ah, uh, regards the shot, the COVID nineteen shot, and the mandates there. Uh, Doctor Witcher, glad to have you back on the show.
1: Yes, yeah, sir. Thank you. Glad to be back.
2: Well, Doctor Witcher, I would say that your life has been very uneventful in recent months, but that wouldn't be the <laughs> truth. Hey, uh, you, uh, you got released from a a, a hospital in uh, South Mississippi recently because you dared to prescribe. Um, a medicine that Fauci uh, didn't approve of. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on in recent weeks.
1: Okay, well, uh, actually, that hospital was in Yazoo City, Mississippi. Uh-huh. So uh, you know, they did release me from my duties. It, uh you know, I came in, and you know, of course, the COVID has kind of died down, but it came, it's coming back some, probably the Delta variant that we're seeing, although Omicron is supposedly in Mississippi. But uh, I came in that morning. You know, I'm the medical director of the ER and the hospitalist program. And so I came in, and we had three new COVID patients in the hospital, which is unusual. Like I said, we've had a lull in it. We ha- haven't had any COVID hospitalized patients probably in, in uh, several weeks. But anyway, three were there. I went in and evaluated those patients. Uh, you know, I've been using remdesivir since Dr. Fauci uh, uh, recommended it last year, and, and all the hospitals put it on the protocol. They took hydroxychloroquine off the protocols, replaced it with remdesivir. And I, I've been using it with patients, but I've also been doing a lot of research lately with, uh, you know, in in looking at like Dr. Peter McCullough, early intervention with COVID and treatment, and treatments in the, with different al- alternative medications, multi-drug therapies. Also been paying a lot of attention to Dr. Corey mm-hmm. and the FLCCC guys. Uh, mainly Dr. Corey and Paul Merrick, and, and other other physicians in that group, but they've been putting out protocols and, and, and not just recent, but uh, as early as December 2020, they came out with protocols. And so, just putting all the data together, doing my own research, and I just felt like, you know, remdesivir is not the drug of choice at this point, certainly not late in COVID. And, uh, and ivermectin does appear to be. Uh, very effective, not only early in COVID for prophylaxis, but well uh, as well as being uh, patients that are hospitalized and, and even uh, uh, on the intub- or intubated at this point. So I, I took them off from desir and um, these three patients, and like I said, I evaluated them and, and I was uh, attempting to put them on ivermectin. And I got a phone call from my boss and he just said, you know, the higher ups at the hospital said, you know, basically that enough you know no don't come back so that was at the end of the day after my er shift i was i was in the er working but also covering the hospitalist uh with a nurse practitioner there in direct contact. you know she she stays on the floor we stay in the er and kind of go back and forth but anyway that's that's how that occurred
2: you know dr Witcher, something that stands out to me is is as i looked and i read doc i read um baptist memorial which is a System that lets you go, um, or didn't invite you back to the ER to serve as a. Um, what 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 do you, what's your your I know you mentioned your role there, but you're basically just an attending physician, right?
1: Yeah, at, at this little hospital, it's a 20-bed hospital. So the way it works it's a hybrid program. The ER doctors cover the hospitalist program as well, mm-hmm. but we have nurse practitioners there from 7 a.m. in the morning to 7 at night. And, of course, the doctor's in the ER 24-7, working 12-hour shifts. But, but during the day, the nurse practitioners stay on the floor, manage the patients minute by minute. Yeah. The ER doctor, which is also considered the hospitalist, it's a hybrid program, they oversee the nurse practitioners and, um, and sign off on the charts and that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a, it's a, uh, so the ER doctors are the hospitalists at this little uh, gotcha. hospital. That's not uncommon in a small hospital setting. Gotcha. So, you know, yep, that's how that, that Well, was. And uh, I'm the director of the ER and the hospitalist program. Gotcha. I, you know, I was on a three-year contract about two years into the contract, so okay. the contract was terminated.
2: Well, Baptist Memorial put out a statement because a local outlet, this one I'm reading from is WLBT, they put out, uh, they obviously requested comment from uh, Baptist Memorial, and they, they said some things. But here's what stood out to me, and I'm reading this in part. Um, they said, Baptist, Baptist Memorial Hospitals follow the standards of care recommended by the scientific community and our medical team in the prevention and treatment of COVID-19. These include the COVID-19 vaccine and mono, monoclonal antibody treatment, which have been proven to be safe and effective in severely reducing illness from the virus and saving countless lives. And that's the end of the section talking about their preferred treatment methods.
1: Yeah. But but see, those... Well, I mean, they, they, they've been of course, you know, pushing the vaccine on, on everyone, including five to 11 year old children, which I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not anti-vax. I'm just, with these vaccines, they're new. They have not been studied. They carry risks up to including death. So we need to be talking about these, especially, you know, the children don't need these vaccines. Children, you know, they generally get a a little the sniffles with these vaccines. You know, only children that are unhealthy carry any risk. And, and just to give you an example, 88,000 children from the age zero to 17 in Mississippi have gotten COVID, according to our health department, and nine of them died. Okay, that's over a two-year period. Seven percent survival rate, practically zero. But I would tell you, out of those nine children that died, and we mourn the loss of, I don't take it lightly, we mourn the loss of any death, certainly Absolutely. a child, right. but those nine children were probably ill, okay. They probably had say leukemia, they probably were born with cerebral palsy, they probably already had a tracheostomy, they may have mm. been morbidly obese. They're, they had problems, I'm sure, because the studies show nationwide that no healthy child dies from COVID. Right. Okay. So there's no reason to vaccinate five to eleven year olds. But here so, But uh, Doctor
2: Witcher, here, here's what's here's what's the most astonishing to me. And at this point in this whole saga I'm really not surprised at anything because these people are—many of them are so crooked that it, 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 it doesn't—nothing it, phases me. You tell me that I'm going to cover this later, that the NIH and uh, Moderna were working on a shot even before COVID was made public in the U.S.? I mean, that really doesn't surprise me anymore. But nonetheless, uh, in this statement, they call—Baptist Memorial calls uh, the antibody treatment, which I know there's a couple out there— and then the, the COVID-19 shots, which there's a couple out there, safe and effective, definitively. No caveats, well, no, we're still studying it, this.
1: Safe and effective. And that's what they're pushing. And, and that's the problem I have. You know, patients need informed consent. Informed consent means they need to know the risk involved as well as the benefits. You can't just say one side of the story. you got to give them the risk involved in our health department, in hospitals, in many positions. Are are not a lot, not given the full story. Okay, they're just not. You can go to the CDC mayor's reports. There's I think over uh, about twenty thousand deaths right now from the COVID vaccine. About thirty thousand permanently disabled. And I I personally know of two right here in Mississippi. I I, I know them well. That in in many people you know I can say their names because they've been out in public. It's uh, Cody Flint, the pilot up in uh, the Delta, in Mississippi. He, he's permanently disabled. More than likely will never mm. fly again. And Angela DeSalle down on the uh, southern part of the state, same things. Probably, probably won't work again. So these people are are directly re- they're vaccine injured. Yes. And there's many that, that on the bears. It's 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 approaching a million now of vaccine injured. Okay, and, and these the bears. Harvard did a study several years ago. It's only one percent probably reported. Okay, Correct. so that means you can multiply that times ten. Okay, so there's there could be you know. Uh, uh, what about 200,000 deaths? I heard uh, Dr. Rose report uh, the other day. She said it's probably more like 500,000 deaths just mm. in, in the United States. So we we know there's there's problems here. And we know that there's a, 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 a intense risk. Take for children, for example, myocarditis in, in the young, especially males. It's it's the cases are out there. Yeah. Okay, we don't know why. It seems like that, but. The high testosterone levels in these boys, for some reason, these spike proteins attack their heart muscle directly mm-hmm. and cause myocarditis. So, in some of these, they say, "Well, you know, they all recovered." No, but they don't know. I mean, we, we first of all, re- it's very, very rare for myocarditis to occur in a, in a, a young, healthy, healthy person. So, we don't know what the full out. Many of these do seem to be recovering, but we don't know what's going to happen to them when they get in their thirties and forties. They can easily develop congestive heart failure. And and, and and limit their lifespan, but we do know some some are dying uh with myocarditis. So you know we're very concerned. There's many. I'm not the only one. There's many doctors around the state. I'm concerned. Group together,
0: yeah,
1: are concerned. I mean, we're we're trying. Of course, the you know our 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 uh, our uh, state medical license board put out a, a policy to say that we can't give out any COVID vaccine misinformation, or we run the risk of losing our medical license. Well. That's just been overturned, not in our state, but there's other states that did the same thing. And, and report came out uh, last week that uh, these other states have taken that out of their policy because it's, it's, it's just not constitutional. You can't hold these doctors to, to say that they can't speak the truth. And so I, I'm expecting Mississippi, our Mississippi State Board of Medical License, to pull that out of their policy uh, soon. I know our, our Secretary of State, uh, Watson, he he, uh, he abolished them to say that when they put that in the policy, that that was not uh, something they needed to be doing. And so I, I, I believe that, that our, our state licensure board will overturn that, pull that out of their policy soon. Yeah. It's, just, it's unconstitutional. Well, well, that was... Well, it's just bad. It's bad science. I mean, we as scientists, we, we need to be discussing this in public and have open roundtable discussions.
2: I'm going to just call it what it is. What they did was stupid. I mean, what they did was utterly stupid, And wholly subjective. I mean, who's going to define what vaccine misinformation is? Because honestly, Fauci and them and, and, and many people who are probably Baptist Memorial, for example, the people that let you go from the ER room, they're spreading what I would say is vaccine misinformation. They're definitively, with no caveats, no disclaimers, claiming that these clot shots and these shots that are causing heart issues and other things are claiming that they're wholly safe and effective beyond the shadow of a doubt with no disclaimers, no caveats. To me, that is misinformation. So should they have their licenses pulled? Well, I would never suggest such, uh, but the truth needs to be, well, needs to I mean, be. And
1: that's how we feel, you know, we right. feel that they're giving out misinformation and so if we're going to be held liable, you know, doctors like Dr. Dobbs should be held liable. Absolutely. On the same grounds that, that he is not giving the other side of the story that there's with. So, so you know we're and you now I want to make it clear because monoclonal antibody therapy we are we are for that we believe that the monoclonal antibody therapy is good therapy you know I've given it hundreds of times right there in Yazzie City and uh, you know we do feel like you you know if if you get uh, COVID you do especially if you have a risk factor you need to go get the monoclonal antibodies sure uh, we, you know we we don't see. The only the only thing downside of that we we're you know Dr Fauci promotes it so we're a little skeptical but <laughs> all joking aside it's, yeah you know it, it does seem to be good it, it does seem to work and so I would encourage folks to get out there early and get, get and do get the monoclonal yeah I've
2: uh, heard I've heard good things about it my wife got it she was she's pregnant now and she got COVID about a month or two ago and so she got that I know many people who've gotten the antibody treatment. Um, but, but Dr. Witcher, the last thing I'll say here, and I'll, I'll get you the last, let you have the last word because I've been doing a lot of talking, but um, with this Omicron variant, which, which honestly, who knows how long this has been around. They're acting like it's only been around two weeks, but then I'm reading reports that it was in California like a month ago. So who knows? This thing could have been around for months, and they're just hyping it up now so they have something to talk about. Um, but, but, but one of the, uh, I think it was Moderna or either Pfizer, they're all about the same, uh, one of the major big pharmaceutical companies came out, I'm talking not even seven days after quote, Omicron was discovered in South Africa and said that their shots, their COVID-19 shots that were designed over 12 months ago, uh, were were they worked. They worked against the latest variant. They haven't even done any studies or clinical trials. The variant was, according to them, just discovered like two weeks ago, and they're already claiming, like clinical trial type data against a variant that they just discovered a week ago. How on earth, Doctor Witcher, can they claim that their shots work against something that they supposedly just discovered?
1: Well, you know, it, it is what it is. Their, their their whole goal is to push the vaccines. If you go to the CDC website and our Mississippi State Health Department website now, you know they don't even they're not even quoting any numbers of of the COVID and this and that. They're just pushing. It's all about the vaccines, 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 vaccines. Okay, let's keep in mind that, uh, first of all, only 15% of people have gotten COVID in the United States. 50 million people have gotten it. That's about 15%. Uh, Mississippi, it might be 17%. But still, the majority of people don't get COVID, okay? So that's number one, all right? And then let's keep in mind that the survival rate across the board, is, if you do get it, that's a big if. It's 98%. That's across the board. That's not only national. But that's also in Mississippi. Look it up. There's been ten thousand deaths or so in Mississippi. There's uh, been five hundred twenty cases. That's a, that's about uh, that's a, a death rate of that's a survival rate of ninety eight percent. Okay. Now we know the people that die with COVID are people that are over sixty five that have lots of comorbidities. Okay. We we just don't, look it up. I mean, it, over eighty in Mississippi. There's I think twenty five hundred out of that ten thousand that died. So most people that die are. Are older that have comorbidities, and they don't necessarily die of COVID; they die with COVID. Okay, so uh, we want to make th- we want to keep things in perspective here. It's COVID's real. You can get sick, but listen, we've got to treat early. Early outpatients to keep. key. Our goal is to keep patients out of the hospital because we know once they get in the hospital and they get intubated, many of them don't go home. But we do have effective treatments that Dr. Peter McCullough yeah. has put together, as well as Dr. Corey. If you, and I wanted to say that, you know, I've been uh, given a position as the, I'm on the Medical Advisory Council for Truth for Health Foundation. Okay, that's Dr. Valit, D-L-I-E-T. Yeah. You can go to her website, truthforhealth.org, and you can find all these protocols. They have a nice early home treatment guide. I think it's about 24 pages. You can print it out. It it tells you immediately what to do. how you start, what you need to start doing. All right, thank you. Uh, nasal, thank you,
2: Dr. Witcher. Hey, we we gotta hit a hard okay. break here. God bless you. Thank you for coming on. All right, thank you, sir. All bye right, bye. Dr. Witcher, we'll give out that website. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you so much. All
0: right, bye-bye. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality.
2: I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture
4: to back it up.
0: The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net.
2: So Hannah, she's just one of the women
4: who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God, and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net.
0: One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was a legalization of abortion. Now subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films, God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light, supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in standing for life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or donate securely at preborn.com.
1: Hey, I'm Chris Tomlin. No matter how trapped you might feel by drug or alcohol addictions, there is a way to break free and find a new life in Jesus Christ. I dove into a six-year addiction to alcohol. I've had two DUIs, and I spent two nights in jail, and I said I would never drink again, but the substance had a hold on me. My family held an intervention and asked me to come to Teen Challenge. My relationship with Jesus Christ, like I had no idea that... I could be new again. I had no idea that there were better things in him for me. And there were so many broken places that are being healed. Adult and Teen Challenge helps people find freedom from addictions to drugs and alcohol. If you or a loved one is ready to experience a new life of freedom and hope, you can call toll-free at 1-855-END-ADDICTION or visit them online at teenchallengeusa.org. You're listening to American Family Radio.
0: AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. My name is Walker Wildman. That was Dr. John Witcher on with us last segment. He was relieved of his duties at Baptist Memorial Hospital in Yazoo City, that's their Yazoo uh, location, and uh, he was relieved because he dared to administer, prescribe and administer ivermectin in the treatment of COVID-19. Baptist Memorial let him go, relieved him from his duties, fired him uh, because he dared to prescribe ivermectin. You know, this, this is the injustice. This is the injustice. That is a a doctor wanting to help his patients get better. But then hospital administrators that probably push paper most of the day want to tell a practicing physician that's in the ER, seeing the patients face-to-face, tell him, no, 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 you can't give them that medication that is probably going to make them better. But then to go further and say, <clears throat> to, to, to a claim that ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, whichever one you're talking about, is, is not proven safe and effective against COVID-19. Well, if, if ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are not proven safe and effective against treating COVID-19 infection, well, then we surely can't say that these shots are safe and effective. Because when you look at the data, actually, my friends, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have been studied for longer in treatment against COVID-19. Well, how can you say that, Walker? Well, because ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, they were in place decades before COVID SARS-CoV-2 came around. What does that mean? That means that clinical trials and studies began immediately when the pandemic was detected. Studies with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin in use treating COVID-19 patients, those studies went into effect, they began in the probably the same month that COVID-19 was detected in China and reported to the world. The vaccines on the other hand that aren't even performing like vaccines, so To be more accurate, the shots against COVID-19 that all these companies and everybody's hyping up that that don't really work, those didn't come around until months later. Even clinical clinical trials phase one, those didn't begin until 2020, well into 2020 with Operation Warp Speed and uh, what the Trump administration did. Okay, so... Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have been studied even longer than the shots when it comes to treating COVID nineteen, um, and it's just astonishing. And you know, you, I talked to one doctor on the phone. He was, you know, he wanted us to push these shots on on the radio, and I said, well, you know, have have you looked at the at the data when it comes to ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine in treatment against COVID nineteen patients? Well. Well, I've read what, you know, Fauci and them are saying, and the CDC, well, of course they're going to push the shots. Of course they're going to push remdesivir at, what, $3,000 a vial, (laughs) a treatment uh, 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 protocol? And you look at hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and it's like a couple bucks to use it to get treated. So, you know, you follow the money here, and you hate to just say that, but you follow the money here, and a, a lot of this stuff sure does smell fishy. Um, and and it it's just not not boding well with the American public. There's a lot of people I've been talking to that uh, were they they rode the COVID train for a little while, but they've gotten off since then. <laughs> they've gotten off since then because they realize we're not being told the truth. They realize we're not being told the truth. Uh, one report I want to bring to you today before we move on from this topic is something, um, Glenn. Bl- Beck reported on Tucker Carlson's show. This is clip four. He went on Tucker Carlson's show and reported that the NIH and Moderna, they were working on a COVID-19 vaccine even before you and I knew that there was such thing as COVID-19. Let's listen to clip four.
0: We didn't know anything about this in December. We were starting to get rumblings. China said there was some sort of an outbreak on December 31st. But Peter, am De- sorry, not Peter Daszak, Dr. Barrick Signs a government deal with Moderna. I want to. I want to read it exactly to you. This deal was uh, made. It's confidential. It's 100 and I don't know 58 pages long. It is. If I skip to page 104, they are entering a specific private, confidential agreement. The NIH appears to be transferring technology to Dr. Barrick. But what they're making clear is, quote, mRNA coronavirus vaccine candidates developed and jointly owned by NIAID and Moderna. Now, this is weird because it's two weeks later that we know there's a problem. They signed that deal two weeks before and they sign it with the doctor who happened to be a partner with the Bat Lady in Wuhan. Here's where it gets really dark. (laughs) These are the same group of people that in the end of January begin to have meetings and they shut down and begin to smear anyone who's looking into the lab leak theory. They establish that's not true. Don't even look there. It appears to be collusion. You know, we've passed this on to several people in Congress and the Senate. We know Rand Paul is on this, and Dr. Fauci has some answers to give.
2: Very interesting development there. Very interesting development. That's why these FOIA requests are so important, is because we find out information that we would not have otherwise found out about. Um, but our own NIH, under uh, the direction of someone who's now <clears throat> since retired, Francis Collins. Um, they, were, they were getting ready to uh, develop. They had already done a lot of the research in developing a coronavirus vaccine even before we knew there was such thing as a coronavirus uh, coming out of Wuhan, China, which that's really not uncommon. So let me just add that. <clears throat> it's not uncommon to develop vaccines on stuff on diseases that isn't really a problem right now should it become a problem in the future. But the problem here is that NIH... And Moderna and others were working on something, on a vaccine or a shot, back in late 2019 before you and I even really knew that the COVID-19 was going to be a problem. Uh, But it wasn't, what, two to three months later before our government really recognized that it was a problem. So the government, the inner workings of the government, for 60 to 90 days knew uh, that that SARS-CoV-2 was going to be a problem. Uh, but didn't tell the public until probably, what, February? Uh, late January, early February of 2020. So that's a little backgrounder there. We'll continue to follow <clears throat> those papers and those FOIA requests. Hey, the um, the Democrats, uh, they've been pushing for this no bail. Uh, they, they actually have it in place in New York, which leads into this story. But th- their whole narrative is, well, if it's a nonviolent offense, then Uh, 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 an accused criminal shouldn't have to post bail, shouldn't have to post bail. Well, we'll see how that works. Um, Here's reading from Breitbart.com. The uh, arsonist accused of torching Fox News' Christmas tree last week was released under the lenient bail reforms in New York State. The New York uh, Post reports uh, reported that the suspect cried, I didn't do it outside of the courthouse. Um, uh, the early, uh, after he was arrested, uh, after the early morning arson that caused about $500,000 in damage outside of a Midtown building home to Fox news, the guy by the name of Craig Tamaha, Tamaha, Tamanaha, give that a try, uh, Craig Tamanaha, 49 years old, he has a. This is reading from Breitbart. He has a lengthy rap sheet, meaning a lengthy criminal history, that includes three prior arrests: one for public intoxication and true, two for drug possession. He also went on an incoherent rant outside the courthouse. He denied the arson and hurled obscenities at reporters before asking them for a cigarette. Um. Let's see. Arson is the is only considered a felony in New York if the arsonist harms or attempts to harm a person or carries out the attack as a hate crime. So this uh, guy, this uh, alleged criminal here that torched the Fox News Christmas tree in uh, Manhattan, he would not be on the streets had the Democrats' Bell reform bill not been in place. Because the Democrats are soft on crime, as a matter of fact, the Democrats foster environments of crime, i.e. San Francisco, also Manhattan, um, without their legislation that they passed about two years ago, um, he would not be on the streets burning down Fox News' Christmas tree. And you go over here and let's go back to Wisconsin, right? Waukesha, Wisconsin. This guy has a lengthy, lengthy criminal history even more than the guy I just cited in New York. And he was out... Because of lenient policies at the district attorney's office, because of low bell or no bell policies at the uh, district attorney's office, and so the whole Christmas parade, driving the car through the crowd and killing six and injuring dozens other uh, dozens others that wouldn't happen had people, had these George Soros-type district attorneys not been so soft on the criminals and so soft on crime. Hey, one, one, uh, story, one uh, article I want to mention before we uh, end the show today. I wrote an <clears throat> article in our local paper in the local Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal this weekend. Here's a headline, National Conversations Built on a Foundation of Lies. I'm going to read through this part of it, at least, before we wrap up the show. In 2016, a Texas man named Jordan Brown accused Whole Foods in Austin, Texas, of decorating a cake with an offensive anti-gay slur. Brown later sued Whole Foods, accusing the company of anti-LGBT activity, as evident from the supposed cake slur. This story immediately went viral. Major news outlets published the story accusing Whole Foods in Austin, of bigotry against homosexual individuals. The media led the country to believe that hate against homosexuals is alive and well in America. Within hours, the entire story began to fall apart. According to CNN, Whole Foods released the following statement after an internal investigation. Quote, our team member wrote, love wins at the top of the cake as requested by the customer. And that's exactly how the cake was packaged and sold at the store. Our team members do not accept or design bakery orders that include language or images that are offensive, end quote. As it turned out, the whole situation was a hoax. Brown, the alleged victim here, he purchased the cake with Love Wins, then later added the anti-gay slur below those words after leaving the store. Whole Foods ended up countersuing Jordan Brown as a result of the false accusation. Move on. January 2019, actor Jussie Smollett called 911 from downtown Chicago and reported that two men had beat him up, lodged offensive slurs at him, and tied a noose around his neck before fleeing. The Chicago Police Department swarmed the scene and national news coverage began. Supposedly, it was another example of how America suffers from rampant hate crimes. Within hours, this story also began to fall apart. It was too late, though. America was convinced that this story was true. After an extensive investigation by law enforcement, Smollett was indicted with multiple counts for perpetrating the hoax by colluding with two friends to plan the fake assault. Smollett went as far as driving around downtown Chicago and instructing his friends in the back seat what they should say to him and how they should assault him. Smollett was recently convicted on five of the six counts he faced. The last story I'll tell you here is in uh, from June 2020. News broke that Bubba Wallace, a well-known NASCAR driver, was a victim of a hate crime. Wallace's team reported to law enforcement that they found a noose hanging from the garage door near Wallace's car at the Talladega Superspeedway. While national news outlets rushed in, sympathies poured out, and even the FBI sent over a dozen agents to investigate this crime. Within hours, the story began to crumble. Photos began to circulate online showing the same quote-unquote noose on other garage doors at Talladega. The FBI finally concluded after, while a couple days, that this was yet another hoax. The noose ended up being just a pull rope that is commonly used to lift garage doors up and down when no motorized door exists. The common occurrence in these stories is not that they're all fake and completely made up, but dozens if not hundreds of news outlets published these reports before verifying the information, underpinning the accusations. We're at a point in society where many news outlets and journalists no longer do investigative journalism. Instead, they rush to publish sensational stories that drive national conversations. These conversations are often built on a foundation of lies. So the next headline you read, you better be careful. Let's make sure it's accurate. Let's make sure it's true before we base our conversations on things that never happen. AFA at the core, see you next time.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.